You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. We have Cheez-Its here, and I like Cheez-Its, but they're too salty sometimes, you know? Yes. And you, they're, not, they're not high food where you want to, like, eat all of them at once. I can, like, eat a eat, handful. Yeah. You can't eat that many Cheez-Its at once. As opposed to goldfish, I could eat, like, an entire gigantic box. They have the right salt to cracker ratio. I agree, man. I agree. Do not and that's why they're the snack that smiles back. Snack that smiles back. Goldfish. We are looking for a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my dream sponsor, actually. I would love to work with them. Um, or Oreos or Break and Bake. Nestle. I have another question for you. <laughs> yeah. This is bothering me, and I thought I would ask you. <clears throat> Did Winnie the Pooh say death would be an awfully great adventure? Or is that Peter Pan? For some reason, my mind is Winnie the Pooh, but that seems kind of dark, right? I feel like all those children's novels have said something to that effect of, like, whatever. Can't I don't think Peter die. Pan would have said that, because Peter Pan's whole thing was not die, right? Exactly. That's why he would want to die. At the end, maybe. I only, I've only seen the Disney movie and yeah. Finding Neverland. <laughs> and every other iteration they've made since then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I've seen the that. play, like, five times. What? Oh wait! What about the one with the blonde guy? Remember, it came out when we were like in I middle do school. Believe I believe in fairies. Yeah. I do. I do. Not I to do brag, believe but in fairies. <laughs> I I camped in the cave that in Vietnam that they used for Neverland entrance. So kind of a big deal. Why would they film it there? I mean, because no, they just filmed the entrance there. It's like the deepest cave in the world, or the biggest I mean, like cave. I can understand like visually why they would film it there, but like. No, not the whole thing. Just that one part. No, I know. Exactly. Oh. Why would you film one part in a country? Like, that's not England, where the rest of the film was filmed. Because it's the entrance to Neverland. Okay. You oh know I hate God. Neverland, so I would never. It's, I would never. Neverland is not in England. It's like past the second star <laughs> from the moon. To the left, Grace. To the left. Okay. Anyways, good evening, everyone. If you're watching <laughs> us evening. on YouTube, my cat is attacking me. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm Grace. And I'm Chelsea. This is Two Girls, One Crossword. Is your it? Your favorite weekly Podword Crosscast. Is it? Is it your favorite? It's my favorite. Um, it's my favorite. It's actually my only, uh, it's my only podcast that I listen to. Actually, I only, this is really, I'm trash. I only listen to Bachelor and uh, like true crime podcasts. <laughs> and ones about cults. Um, and she does listen to ones about cults. Yeah. I count that as true crime. Because those cults are a crime, okay? I agree. Speaking of uh, true crime cults that you should listen to, listen to the Mormonism podcast done by Last Podcast on the Left. It's relevant because Grace and I just started a new podcast that we touch on a Mormonism a lot. So it's just like a nice little crossover. It's like a trifecta uh, of crossovers. Yeah. By the way, the new podcast is about the book Twilight. <laughs> but it does have to... Well, it's about the new Twilight book, Midnight Sun. Come listen to find out, but it has to do with Mormonism because Stephanie Meyer, the author, is Mormon, and basically the whole thing is just like a Mormon love story. If you don't know, then you can come find out in our other podcast. But back to crosswords, she just should we jump right into our heights and shites of the week? Let's let's jump into it. My my first heights and shites was you know obviously name dropping our podcast. It's called Meet Me in Forks. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast. It'll also be linked um, in the description. I'm linking all our stuff in the description now of all oh our episodes, including our Twitter. I don't know why we didn't do that before. <laughs> Who are we? We don't know what we're doing. I mean, we're just, I actually do social media for a company. Like I get paid to do that. And yet here I am struggling to manage the social media of our, of our own you're podcast. You're doing great, sweetie. 
Oh my God. Thank we don't you offer so benefits. Much. So No. They, yeah. So I basically, there's no reason for me to put an extra time. <laughs> Sorry. True. I show up here. I don't even do research. I don't even do crosswords. I just kind of make everything up on the fly. I'm actually really good at making stuff up. We that'll be an April first episode one day. We'll just come with totally <laughs> fake trivia topics and see how long we can talk. And make something up. I feel like that's something we used to, have to do in school as debate practice. I was like, okay, talk about grass for five minutes. Great. You know that's exactly what I would love to do. Anyway, so let's get into the real hits and shits because, you know, Meet Me in Forts is not necessarily a hit for most of our crossword listeners. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'll start. The USA Today crossword on October 12th called Fast Forward by Caitlin Reed. 16 across, word after thirst or tourist. Trap. Yeah. I just like thirst trap in a crossword. Um, I haven't posted a thirst trap in a while because... I haven't taken any cute pictures in a while. Chelsea asked me to send her picture of myself the other day. I had to go back like seven months. <laughs> I was like, I've not taken a normal photo of I me. I can't remember Barely the last time I like, at all. tried to look nice. I think the last time I tried to look nice was on my anniversary with my boyfriend in April. Yeah. And by try to look nice, it's like you switched out sweatpants for... I put a dress on. And it was <laughs> wow. actually a really comfortable dress. You know, it's like one of those like lounge type dresses. I would lounge in that dress. But yeah. it looks cute enough that I kind of looked dressed up. <laughs> but I really didn't go past that effort. Um, is that all you have for, to, to start us off? Well, I have another one from another USA T- Today crossword, Eat for Two on October 13th by Amanda Rafkin. 19 across, opportunity to sport a cardigan. If you're Bella Swan. Sorry. No, no. tell me. <laughs> sweater weather. Sweater weather. Love it. It's um, just I love sweaters. Feel. This is my favorite time of year. For the weather, strictly. And Grace has... Yeah, Grace has kind of infected me with a little interest in spookiness. I mean, you know, I don't really like spookiness at all, but I have an interest in the idea of spookiness and the sense of spookiness. One little drop. Pretty soon, you're spending every night watching a different scream (laughs) anthology. You start listening Uh, to true crime podcasts during the rest of the year to tide you over. And I did buy Halloween decorations for the first time this year, so... Yay! My my apartment is completely filled to the brim with Halloween decorations, and I live alone, and it's a pandemic, so like no, I have like one person who comes over. <laughs> we have to do but, things to make us happy. Yeah, okay, they're for me. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start us off with the Sunday, October eleventh, New York Times. Um, when I read what the title of this puzzle was called, it's called Pi R Squared. I was so disheartened. I was actually, you know what? I wasn't disheartened. I was legitimately angry because i i just was like okay i come to crosswords for words not math right so i went into this puzzle thinking this was going to be about math mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised i mean i think the puzzle in itself is just a regular normal puzzle um but because i went in with low expectations and i was proven wrong i felt a lot better about the puzzle um so it was by gary larson uh basically there's a rebus for those of you who don't know what a rebus is it's when there's either like a letter like multiple letters symbols or number numbers in one square so there was a rebus and it was basically just pir so pi r mm-hmm. squared so you could in a the, square right and then it's in a square but you were also using it two different directions um so some crossing answers for you conspiracy theory cross with empire state so the pir is crossed or pump iron crossed with pirate's booty vampire bat crossed with spire and so on and so forth. So, you know, it was fun. Um, Who did that one? Who was a constructor? This was Gary Larson. 
Oh, okay. Oh, Gary. Yes. Oh, Gary. <laughs> uh, but there's a really great clue in this puzzle that I have to bring up. If you aren't following us on Instagram, you absolutely should, because then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 69 down, only bird with calf muscles. <gasps> Emu. Yes. And Grace has an incredible depiction of an emu on her Instagram. Check it out. I have gone through the trouble of sketching out what exactly an <laughs> emu's legs look like. So yes, you should, we've also tweeted it. But come find it because I worked really hard on it. Yeah. Um, uh, another good one from that puzzle. And this is just because Grace and I love love a good musical. Uh, 130 across. May God bless and keep the blank far away from us. Line from Fiddler on the Roof. Do you know this line? tradition god bless and keep the rest <laughs> i don't know keep the czar far away from oh, us okay uh, got it well speaking of musicals there is another shout out in the usa today crossword october 16th called drop cookies by stella zawistowski 69 across where to see cats or fences the answer is stage not that complicated of a question but okay Am I wrong or am I wrong? Cats is showing up a lot in crosswords lately. I feel like maybe we've pioneered a, like, thing where cats now becomes, like, need-to-know crossword knowledge. If you're a serious crossword person, you just have to know about cats. Um, not to toot our own horns or anything, but we will take full credit for the resurgence of Cats, the musical, as crossword clues. Thank you. Yes um what else do i got here oh i liked the theme from the monday new york times um october 12th joe hansen puzzle i did mainly that one because, too. did you do that one mainly because um my week has been bonkers like truly bonkers so to go and do a puzzle where the theme was all about flowers and like the theme design was flowers like they kind of like the way the flowers were spelled out formed like a little flower i was like through my haze of just like absolute drudgery i was like this is so pretty i like it so it basically it was 5d with 50 down place that puzzle grid represents and it was flower garden and some of the flowers that showed up were violet dahlia azalea and orchid Um, yeah and they kind the way they were spelled out like all the letters were taken from different clues but they you know went around and then down the stem Mm -hmm. and And i mean sometimes you just need sometimes you just need a little a little spice to like that Especially in this year. Um, there, there's another clue that I liked from that puzzle, 43 across, one who's well-versed in the arts, question mark. Poets. Yes. Just thought, you know, a little wordplay. I'm always a fan. Did you notice this clue? 23 down, Polynesian Kingdom. Maori? No. Right? Oh, no. Which, Tonga. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember. I thought of you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thought of you, really too. into this, like, New, New Zealand show called summer heights high that was on hbo years and years ago jonah takalua one of the main characters is from tonga and um i feel like a lot of people have seen the show if you have not seen the show the the main actor plays three characters one is like a gay theater teacher the other is jonah takalua from tonga so he's kind of like a poor islander is how they you know frame him and he's crazy uh and then you have jimay who comes from like the rich school but she's like doing like a study away program at the public school school. and she's the worst (laughs) but also the best she's so funny so love that i did the um friday october 16th new yorker that's today actually um a minor shit not from the puzzle itself 
Um, mm-hmm. I loved the puzzle. It was really great uh, by Wynaloo. But 23 across, I did not know this answer, so I kind of was intrigued enough to start looking it up. Uh, Swedish painter and mystic who was a pioneer of abstract painting. And I almost ans- did that as my topic. Really? I, I had to look it up too. I didn't know who it was. Right. And the, the answer is Hilma of Klint. And so I looked this painter up. I, I think I typed into Google Klint painter. Mm-hmm. And Google immediately tried to correct me to Klimt painter, as, a, as in Gustav Klimt, who is famous for like that kiss painting with all the gold. I'm sure mm-hmm. you know it if you were to see it. Um, and I just want to, like, I got a bone to pick with Google. Like, Clint is a female painter. Like, why do we got to ruin with the SEO here? Like, come on. Um, I just thought it was interesting that even though I was directly searching for this woman, it tried to correct me. Like, no, 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 you're not well, looking for her. You're looking for this guy. That's her whole story because she's one of the first abstract painters, but she was, like, the clue says she was considered a mystic or a witch Mm -hmm. because she was very spiritual, even though there were a lot of male painters who were kind of, you know, woo-woo, but they were seen as geniuses. But anyway, she got kind of snubbed, and she still does to this day, as proven by Google, but also, like, the MCA in New York did an abstract exhibit, and they didn't include her, like, a couple years ago. And people were asking, like, hey, why isn't she in here? And they're like, well, we're not sure if she's, like, you know, for sure abstract because she hasn't, I don't know. They gave all types of, like, art history (laughs) reasons. I didn't understand. That's why I didn't do the topic. I was like, I feel like this is deeper than what I can can research. But (laughs) in a week, yeah. Um, But another great... uh, a great clue from this puzzle was 28 Across, organization with many member stations, and the answer is NPR. And why is NPR super important to us this this week? Because I was on their podcast, kind of. <gasps> a recording of me was played on their podcast, the one that came out on Tuesday, October 11th? No. 13th. 13th. Yeah, so depending on when you're listening to the episode, go to NPR's The Moth, October 13th podcast. I, my story starts about 30 minutes in, and it is about how Chelsea and I first hung out outside of work. If you are ever curious about how how it all started, um, I will give you a clue, and it actually comes from this puzzle. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, the Wainaloo puzzle, 44 across, spots for esteem, and the answer is spas. So, hmm, tune into the moth, folks, and you'll find out. One last thing before I let you take over. This is still from the same New Yorker puzzle. Just a question for you. 49 across. Feature seen on the faces of Beyonce, Batman, and Bart Simpson in a famous ad campaign. And the answer was Milk Mustache, which is a great mm-hmm. answer. Um, but am I crazy? Was this whole campaign like um, a friggin' scam? Okay, I was going to, this is another one I was going to do as my topic because I was like, I feel like there was some conspiracy about this. Yes, what's the conspiracy? (laughs) No, I don't think it was. I mean, everything, if we're going to really get into it, everything pushed by like the dairy, you know, corporation, some, there is a lot of conspiracies behind like the meat and dairy industry. Of course. um, And how honest they're being with the actual health of their products and what they're pushing on people. But I don't know. I, I, I was just, like, looking up in general stuff about it, and then I decided not to do it. So, I don't know, maybe maybe next week we'll come with a conspiracy. But, yeah, I feel like there was something. But, I mean, what – it was really done I, by, like, the Milk, you know, association. I, don't, I didn't see anything Right, and I couldn't remember weird. if it was, like, it was – I mean, we're, are we the only species that drinks the milk of another animal? Yes. 
And we only drink cow milk because they're easy to milk. So there's really no difference between us drinking cow milk versus tiger milk, except that tigers are much harder to, you know, keep on a farm and milk them regularly. (laughs) Cows are easy to like, you know, pump hormones into them so that they keep producing breast milk. And then we just suckle at the teat of the big farming industry. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'm anyway, if anybody knows about the conspiracy theory regarding milk and milk massages and that whole campaign, please let us know. Because obviously, this is we were the people they were marketing to. It came out, I think, with huge force when we were in grade school yeah. and middle school and high school. Anyone who's anyone. I never – well, I'm lactose intolerant, so I try and stay away from milk. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> All right. Shall we flip our coin? Yes. Let's do it. Flipping the coin now. You're not going to do a coin dance? I'm doing one in my head. <gasps> it's Tails! That's me! That's Grace. Okay, my topic is from the Thursday, October 15th, New York Times by Lindsay Hobbs, and it is Tenacrosk Burlesque Accessories. Wait, 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 wait. Garters? Four letters. Boas. It's crosswordies. Yes. Nice. So I'm doing my topic on boas. No, just kidding. I'm doing it on burlesque. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Burlesque. Are you Ooh. ready to get sexy? Yes. It's derived from the Italian word burla, which means a joke, ridicule, or mockery. Okay. And historically, it was used to refer to any type of entertainment that involved caricature, ridicule, or distortion. And were stripteases sometimes involved? Yes, but not always. Okay. It wasn't always as sexy as as we know it today. Okay. So one of the first times the term burlesque was coined was by Italian poet Francesco Berni. He used parody in his poems to attack the concept of chivalry um, as a dying aristocratic notion that lacked common sense. And so you would kind of see this political and societal satire like come up in other literature For example, Miguel de Cervantes, Don Quixote, and Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. Okay, I know these, I know these. Yes, a huge (laughs) flux of of that type of behavior. Um, In the beginning of the early 18th century, burlesque started infiltrating music throughout Europe. Okay. Hadn't come to the Americas yet. So burlesque was used to describe musical works where serious and comedic elements were juxtaposed to make like a grotesque sound. Okay. Even today, burlesque is still a term used to describe music that has, um, like, for example, bright and high-spirited music to accompany something that's really, like, dark and serious. Yes. However, as you might know, today in the U.S., burlesque is, like, associated with, you know, strip teases. Yes. Some people even say that Americans sullied the original art form. (laughs) Go figure. Yeah. (laughs) So how did we get from, like, literary and theatrical political satire and commentary to this, like, sexy, raunchy show? Well, I think it is still political and, right? Yes. It can be. You're, you're right. But it's a different vehicle this time. Right. Now, now we make commentary with nipple tassels. Yes. So I actually read an excerpt on independent.com from the book Burlesque and the Art of the Tease that was written by none other than... Dita Von Teets. Do you know okay. her? Dita. Yeah. She, I feel like she's one of the most well-known burlesque performers today. She is because gorgeous. She is. She also doesn't age. 
She used no. a lot of sunscreen. I saw an interview with her. She said she wears a lot of sunscreen and she doesn't drink. And that's why she looks so good. Um, that's, that's one of the things I, I mean, I've been talking to Grace about skincare. We've been talking yeah. about the sunscreen. I do the sunscreen. I do it every two hours. Can I give up drinking? Probably. Will I give up drinking? <sighs> Not no. this year. Um, you can't in 2020. <laughs> that's asking too much. Unless you have a problem, then... And please do. help for you. Yes. Anyway, so I, I don't know that much about burlesque, but I do know Dita Von Teese. I feel like she's transcended even, you know, yeah. the burlesque community. Yeah. So this is an ex... All this information is from an excerpt of her book, which, again, is Burlesque and the, and the Art of the Tease, mm-hmm. which maybe I'm going to buy the whole book because it actually was very interesting. Um, she seems like a pretty good writer. Okay. So... Von Tees claims that the idea of the tease in entertainment came way before, like, the sexy burlesque in America and even before Bernie the Poet. In 5th century BC Athens, Aristophanes wrote a play called Lestrada. Yes. Did you have to read that in school? Uh, no, but maybe. Lysistrata. I... I remember we had to read it. So yeah. basically the, the whole, like, concept of the play is that the wives of all these um, Athenian soldiers kind of band together and they, they form, like, a sex pact. Yes, So I they agree that they're going to withhold sex from their husbands until um, the Peloponnesian War ends. Uh, if you're looking for a modern version of that, you can watch Spike Lee's Chirac, which is an offensive title, but um, <laughs> it's the same plot set in the south side of Chicago. Yeah, I've, I've read, like, a young adult book, too, where that was the the theme. Nice. As well, but I can't remember the name. Um, so, anyways, yeah, the whole, I, the whole like, tease on stage has been around for a while. But even though at that time when the play was going on, all the actors were men. Oh, my God. Um, everybody's men gay. played women. Yeah. <laughs> so she was saying that the play might not have been, you know, sexy the same way that burlesque is sexy now. But just the idea of, like, withholding sex right. was sexy. Right. <clears throat> Okay, so let's fast forward to Victorian-era Britain. Women are covered up, okay? Even an ankle was scandalous at this time. Mm-hmm. And legs were always covered in tights. That is, until a woman named Lydia Thompson came along. Lydia okay. Thompson is an important player in this game. She is kind of like the, the mother of modern burlesque. Oh, my God. So yes. she put together a group of English women called the British Blondes, who dyed their hair blonde and wore... <gasps> Flesh-colored tights. <gasps> okay, that is a little too far for me. A that little NSFW. All- I know. Well, that is all it took at that point, okay? <laughs> Just the, like, idea of them wearing flesh-colored tights. Men are horn dogs. I'm just going to yeah. say it. <laughs> it drew public outrage. People were up in arms about it, but they also sold a ton of tickets, of course. Of course, that, because... That always works. Oh, my God, yeah. Everyone likes yeah. to pretend that they hate women, but they secretly love women. It's like a whole thing. Exactly. So by the time Thompson and the British Blondes came to New York in 1868, the city was frothing at the mouth. Ooh, and good imagery. In tr- yes. And in true burlesque fashion, the marketing for their arrival was filled with all these outlandish stories. Um, you know, that's kind of how burlesque works. It's like the, you know, the image that you can cultivate, right. right? So there are stories where men would, you know, kill themselves for her, like go to this show and shoot themselves in the heart and leave love letters to Lydia and all this stuff. So <laughs> Von Tees, doubts that any of these stories are right but right it just shows you know it's still alive and well love it so burlesque flourished over the next 100 years in the u.s it turned into full variety shows that lasted all night featuring chorus girls comedy routines and dancing um kind of like vaudeville which mm-hmm. we talked about in a previous episode that was one of your episodes when we talked yeah, about we, the three 
Was or, it Three Stooges? I think so. It might have been yes. Three Stooges. I might have talked about it a little bit when I talked about Mae West as well. But yeah. Yes. Mae West also started as burlesque, or she right. did some burlesque in her early yeah. career. Okay. So then while Americans were freaking out over nude colored tights <laughs> in Paris, it was the, they were a little more advanced. It was the age of the can-can in yes. theaters such as the Moulin Rouge. Ooh. Antis says, quote, a time when a girl, no matter her background, could transcend class by lighting up the stage. Love it. So a perfect example of um, a burlesque dancer in Paris rising from nothing was a famous showgirl, Andita Von Teese's favorite, Minstrinquette, a.k.a. Miss. Miss was lower middle class, but she was desperate to make, to make a name for herself. In her own words, she was not a beauty, so she had to make something up. Uh, creatively, she coined the ter- or the idea that her legs were the loveliest in the world, and it actually stuck. She became a celebrity who was showered in gifts, and she was known for her mysterious feminine power. Wow! So oh my it's god! It's all about confidence, right? I mean, yeah. she knew that you know maybe she wasn't the prettiest person in the world, but she was going to sell that her legs were the loveliest in the world. She worked with what she got, and it worked for her. She Damn. became huge. Well, Tina Turner also has the sexiest legs right now. I think. I think her legs still look good. <laughs> At this moment? Yeah. Yeah. Jessica Lang. Oh, well, there's Jessica Lang. You got a contender, I mean, Tina. They all, it's not a competition. They all have great legs. No, you know, you've all got great legs, yes. But I like the idea, or I like what Dita Von Tees said about, you know, selling this fantasy. She said, quote, we sell the audience a trip to nowhere, canvas landscapes, moonbeams made of gelatin. So her strength was selling the idea, the magic of burlesque. Actually, I think that quote might have been Miss and not Montes. But anyways, still stands. Nice. So in the 1920s, things started loosening up in Europe. People were, you know, allowed to drink and have a good time. And there weren't that many, uh, or people weren't as desperate to, like, take off their clothes and dance. Meanwhile, over here in the U.S., things were a little more rigid. Yes, skirts were becoming shorter, but a lot of places they still had to cover the knees. In some states like Utah, they could only be above the ankle. Oh, my God. In Ohio, a lady could expose up to two inches of her neck. Wow. Which is, that's kind of how I'm rocking right now with my mock neck. Yeah. (laughs) So this would have been perfect in, uh, you know, (laughs) 1920s Ohio. But on top of all this, it was the Prohibition era. Okay, so you couldn't drink. You couldn't show any skin. People were bored. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that making drinking and nudity illegal only helped the burlesque industry. Especially in New York, okay? High society members of New York started to frequent so-called seedy theaters and speakeasies for these underground burlesque shows. This would be known as the silk hat trade. Hmm. The authorities started becoming suspicious, so theaters had to get creative. Many of them adopted a strategy that whenever an officer came by, a certain light would flash and performers would switch to their, quote, Sunday school performances. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would love to see. Yeah. But by the early 30s, performers were known by name and they could headline their own shows making $1,000 or more a week. Which wow. is a lot at that time. Yeah. But that's that's like Gypsy Rose Lee and yeah, whoever Cabaret is about. <laughs> nice. Uh, Emma Stone. <clears throat> In 1932, Bill Min- Minksky, the most prominent burlesque club owner in New York, passed away. And this led room for politicians... Broadway producers, real estate owners, and the Catholic Church, of course, to, like, join their forces and bring burlesque down for good. And then the nail in the coffin was that Technicolor movies came out and people weren't as interested in stage shows anymore, right? Right. Everyone was going to the movies. Gotta go to the drive-in. Yeah. But 
Burlesque did not completely lose its magic, okay? At the end of World War II, there was this resurgence of Americana, and it ushered in this era of burlesque-style pinup models like Marilyn Monroe and mm-hmm. Bridget Bardot, which, mm-hmm. if you listen to our Barbie episode, Life in Plastic, oh no, that's not what it's called. I forget. <laughs> Anyways, if you listen to our Barbie episode, we talk about how the first Barbie came out around this time, and the first Barbie looks like a pinup model. Yes, it does. Because that's what people liked. That's what they wanted. And in recent decades, there has been uh, a revival of burlesque, known now as neo-burlesque, mm-hmm. on both sides of the Atlantic. There's a new generation nostalgic for the spectacle and glamour of the classic American burlesque. The first neo-burlesque club in New York City was the Blue Angel Cabaret, and it opened in 1994. So, Dita Montez has been around since the 90s. Yeah. And you can see what she looks like now. She's insanely gorgeous, like yes. truly like a doll. <laughs> A doll. So the the neo-burlesque acts tend to put emphasis on style and are sexy rather than sexual. A typical burlesque act usually includes a striptease, expensive or garish costumes, body humor, and incorporate elements of cabaret, circus skills, and aerial silk. Have you been to a burlesque show? I have, yeah. Multiple. Yes. I went to a variety show that had magic, drag queens, comedy, live music, and burlesque. Dude, everything. Yeah. Had it all. Um, But I haven't gone to like a full burlesque only show. I would like to go. Obviously, I went to, I've been to multiple burlesque shows. There's one. Do you remember where you took that comedy class? Yes. In that theater? It's not under the gun anymore. Right. Well, not the upper level, but the the bar level. Um, I saw like an alternative burlesque Mm -hmm. show there. And there is this one girl she was like insane but like in a good way she mm-hmm. came out and she had like black makeup smear all over her face and it was like screamo music and she like did the whole strip tease like like that and i was like damn okay that's burlesque well, too i guess i know in chicago <laughs> you can take burlesque classes because yes. i was talking to a friend who was like she's like oh this week and i have to go to my friend's burlesque class graduation show or her coworker. <laughs> they're like she invited a bunch of people from work i was like I don't know. I would maybe take a class, but I definitely would not. I would only invite, like, one person. Okay. Yeah, I've been to Even a like, colleague's, well, not well, Matt's colleague's uh, burlesque yeah. show, and her whole theme was Lumberjack. Uh-huh. So, yeah. There's, like, I mean, axe throwing. You, you don't and... get a lot of naked, or you don't get a lot of naked. You don't get fully naked, but you do show, you know, a lot. A but lot it's different for every every person. Right. So uh, um, one of the main things about neo-burlesque is that it, like features performers of all different body types Mm -hmm. um, and gender identities. So one of the key differences between neo-burlesque and traditional burlesque is boylesque, um, which is a show that features male bodies. So burlesque shows of old sometimes did have like drag queen type roles where it was males impersonating female bodies, Mm -hmm. uh, but it did not, it wasn't supposed to be like, you know, they weren't supposed to be depicting a male body. So now there are boylesque shows. Okay. I did not know that. Yes. So this is, um, I'm going to end on a quote from an article on Backstage.com called Neo Burlesque is Not Just Booty Shaking by Simi Horowitz. And the article states that burlesque is theater. Quote, audiences are not, for the most part, composed of lecherous old geezers expecting a lap dance or a boob swipe. (laughs) Indeed, the hipster, the professor, and couples on dates are far more prevalent in the scene today. In some settings, women make up 50% of the audience. Performers are not stripping for tips. It's true. So 
burlesque is for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to also add, there is something called Nerdlesque, which I know there's a Star Wars burlesque show in Chicago. I, like, see it on all oh, these event forums that I go on. But that is, like, a new subculture burlesque where it's, you know... <laughs> nerd theme so they're they have like dr seuss ones they've had a bible one oh um God. star wars is a popular one i've seen I'm sure like harry a- potter drag before where someone comes out as like voldemort and is like super sexy <laughs> and it's like i don't know why this is awesome to me but it is there's a hundred percent has to be burlesque or harry potter burlesque I'm oh sure. my god of course uh but yeah so, that, so that's burlesque so we'll go to a burlesque show together when things are normal again yeah, once once they open up. I guess you could do burlesque with a mask on. Yeah. There was an incredible, the you know, so I told you we went to Matt's colleague's burlesque show. It was mm-hmm. just really awkward. But the headliner um, was like a famous burlesque star in Chicago. I think she runs like the burlesque schools here. I don't remember her name. It was years ago, like four mm-hmm. years ago or something. But her theme that night, she came out covered in this, like, balloon dress. And she, like, would pop the balloons, like, periodically and, like, strategically and, like, kind of be more revealing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, bitch, you are so cool. No, it is really fun. I mean, the one that I went to, I, I totally see the appeal. It is, like, very fun and cheeky and very creative. And sensual, you know, loving yeah. your body. I don't know. I can never do burlesque. I don't have that type of stage presence. I have like the stage presence of Wednesday Adams. Although I guess that could be, I could lean into that. (laughs) You really could. Oh my God. It could just be like really. Yeah. (laughs) I'm smiling. (laughs) It'd be like, this is it everyone. Now go out. This is me. Well, I told you I saw the one with the, like the emo screamo music and like the the running black. It was like Evanescence vibe, you know, like hair was like crazy and lots of screaming. If that was a burlesque show, I'm sure you could do Wednesday Adam one. And I'm sure there are people who would run to see that show. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'll workshop it. All right. Um, Sounds good. And you, you can do Uncle Fester. Yeah. Or Cousin It. <laughs> yeah. All you need is a bald cap. Yeah. Perfect. And then just cover your body in gray paint and then you're Gucci. Yeah. What else do you need? My topic comes from the Sunday, October 11th, New York Times by Gary Larson. Shout out to Gary. Gary. Um, <laughs> 34 down. Dog in classic films. Lassie? Great guess. It is not Lassie. No. Great guess. No. You're not going to get this. Toto. Nope. Just tell me. Asta. Oh, yeah. I would never. I have no idea who that is. Right. I didn't either because I went through the whole, like, (laughs) spiel of, like, all the dogs I knew and I didn't know this one, right? Okay. Asta's name is not, his God-given name, rather, Mm -hmm. is not Asta. Okay, his real name, birth name, christened name before the eyes of Jesus is Skippy. Okay. Still don't know Skippy, right? No. Okay, so Skippy was born in 1931 or 1932, and he retired in 1941. He is a wire fox terrier, super cute, um, a white wire fox terrier. Distinctive traits of that breed are a lot of energy. Uh, they're super smart, really intelligent, but they have a low threshold for boredom. They need to be doing something all the time. So this is not a dog that I should ever adopt because I've already got one of those and it drives me crazy, you know? Um, so yeah, they require a ton of stimulation, uh, exercise, attention, uh, and they're considered like a companion breed. They're really good with humans, uh, but they need near constant attention. So yeah, mm-hmm. don't get a wire fox terrier if you can't give them everything they need. So, Skippy was a dog actor that appeared in many movies during the 1930s, and his most well-known role was as Asta in the 1934 detective comedy, 
The Thin Man, uh, starring William Powell and Myrna Loy. Uh, Because of the film, it was super super popular. Uh, He became known as Asta, like, professionally. So you'll see him um, in movies that came out after The Thin Man, and his Mm -hmm. title card would be an Asta, the dog. Well, that's not right. That's like if we always called Jennifer Aniston Rachel Green. Yeah. They hate, actors hate that. When they get pigeonholed into their one most iconic role. Well, it happened to Asta, or should I say Skippy? Excuse me. I guess Skippy's not very, like, professional. You know, sophisticated, I guess. Right. And I mean, I guess seriously on set. I guess if it sticks, it sticks. Yeah. You have to kind of lean into your niche sometimes, especially when you're a dog, because you don't have a lot of options, you know? It's not like like he can, like, play, like, a German Shepherd role. He's the wire fox terrier, Skippy, a.k.a. Asta... We do. We take what we can get, okay? So, Skippy was trained by these two people called Henry East and Gail Henry East. Uh, Hen- <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Why? Well, they must have been married. Well, they, well yeah, they were name married. Was Henry East, the other name was Gail Henry East? Yeah, I think <laughs> that's true. Okay. Someone <laughs> out there, go to the Wikipedia and let me know. Maybe I just accidentally typed this wrong. <laughs> it's very likely. I was tired Gail today. and Henry. I don't know. Whatever. Gail and Henry. Okay. They were his trainers. Yeah. Henry uh, ran the special effects and props department at MGM. And Gail was a prominent comedian and film actress. And she appeared in 238 films between 1914 and 1933. So she was a big deal. Yeah. So during this time in Hollywood, dogs were generally considered props or something like left to the background. They didn't really have like main dog characters the way you would see like a dog in a film now mm-hmm. speaking of dogs we can hear aggressive scratching my dog is currently trying to nest into his bed which is impossible to nest into so we'll see how it goes anyway so like i said dogs were mainly just props in movies right but gail east was cast in a silent film um i couldn't find what film this was so if anybody out there is a gail east fan let me know <laughs> We have a lot of those listening. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, so she was cast in a silent film. The film called for a dog to be able to sit and lie down motionless for a, an extended period of time. Um, and they could not find a dog that was that was able to do this. So they kind of scrapped the film as a whole. They were like, not going to happen. Um, the East, however, Gail and Henry, they were like, no. There has to be a way that we can train a dog to do this. Uh, so they adopted a mixed breed dog and named him Buddy. Uh, and after a lot of training, Buddy was able to do the scene and the film was completed. Or so the story goes. Mm-hmm. Again, if you know the film, let me know. Uh, regardless, the East became known for their skill in animal training. So after this, they were like, let's do it. Let's commit to this gig. You're like, that was easy enough. That was easy. Dogs are easy to train. So on the outskirts of Hollywood, they bought a plot of land. It was two acres of land and they named it the East Kennels, and this is where they trained dogs to star in movies. This is where Skippy, a.k.a. Asta, was born and trained. Oh. Yeah. There's some other trainers involved in Skippy's schooling. Uh, the Weatherwax Brothers. They are huge in animal training, actually. Apparently, if you're a fan of animal training in Hollywood films, you know the Weatherwax Brothers. So Frank and Rudd Weatherwax are famous... <laughs> Great names, right? They're famous for training uh, a famous collie named Pal, who became famous as Lassie in the 1943 MGM film film Lassie Come Home. It's the first Lassie film. Is there any other... Is there a more famous 
movie dog than Lassie. No, no. Uh, the Weather Wax also had an assistant. Actually, wait, there is one dog that is more famous than Lassie. Who? Toto. Toto. Yeah. I well, would say Toto. But it's different, though, because Lassie carries the film. Toto's just like a side character. I know. You're right. But I feel like more people have seen Wizard of Oz than any Lassie film. I don't think I've ever seen a Lassie film, but I know yeah, who but Lassie is. the film's is. not called Toto in Oz. It's true. It's true. Listeners, what do you think? Is Lassie more famous or is Toto? This would be a great Twitter poll. (laughs) People will be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you know what's going on in the world right now? (laughs) Yeah, like, uh uh-huh. Are you paying attention to the news? Sorry, no, I'm just researching uh, famous Hollywood dog (laughs) trainers. Thanks. So back to the Weatherwax Brothers, okay? The Weatherwax Brothers also had, like, an assistant, a trainee dog trainer. Uh, And his name was Frank Inn. He also trained Skippy a bit. Skippy was a.k.a. Asta, don't forget. But Frank Inn was most well-known for his cat, Orangey, who starred as Cat in the Aubrey Hepburn film, Breakfast at Tiffany's. That is definitely the most, well, I don't know. Yes, the most iconic cat cat actor. Cat, cat, as she's screaming in the rain. Have you seen that movie? Uh, I don't think I've seen it all the way through. Oh, okay. Well, at the very end is the scene where she loses Cat in the rain, and she goes running after him, spoiler alert, and just screaming Cat in the rain. I do know she has an orange cat named Cat, so somehow I I know enough about it. Yep. So Frank Inn, who trained Skippy a little bit, also trained Orangey, a.k.a. Cat. Uh, The Weatherwaxes and Frank Inn actually founded the Studio Dog Training School together and went on to train Toto, Old Yeller, and many generations of lassies. Wow. Yeah. So back to Skippy. In a book published in 1936 called Dog Stars of Hollywood by Gertrude Orr, Skippy was said to be the most intelligent animal star working in movies at the time. He could do verbal commands as well as hand cues, um, which were necessary because, you know, the film industry was transitioning from silent to sound films. And so they needed animals that could listen or, you know, respond to commands without you know, using me like, Hey, stay there. Hey, (laughs) shut up. Stop barking. Yeah. So no more of that. We switched to hand cues. Uh, his training began when he was three months old. He was a puppy, a baby puppy. Uh, and when he was six months old, he had a very tiny role in one of the three Stooges films. Um, I couldn't find what Stooge film this was. So if there's any three Stooges fans out there, let us know if you remember seeing Asta, AKA Skippy in the film. Um, or if you're interested in learning about Three Stooges, you can listen to episode 44, Three Strikes and You're Shunned. So Skippy's most famous role was as Asta in the film The Thin Man. Um, and The Thin Man was released in 1934. It was directed by this guy, W.S. Van Dyke. And it was based on a novel by Dashiell Hammett, uh, starred William Powell, Myrna Loy. And it followed this like leisure class couple, right? So they're like upper middle class uh, their names are Nick and Nora. They're on Christmas vacation in New York. Nick is retired. He used to be a police detective. Um, but he, through this course of the movies, he's kind of pushed back into his old job when he realizes a, an old client of his has gone missing. Mm-hmm. Um, Skippy plays Asta, Nick and Nora's playful pet dog, that tugs them around for walks and sniffs out corpses. So that was his job in the film. Very cute. cute. Yeah. Asta was actually supposed to be played by a schnauzer. But the director wanted a dog that had more spunk and more on-screen connection with the actors. So they went with Skippy. Sure. You have to do, like, um, don't they screen test chemistry with actors? They do. Chemistry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, One of the things that made the director pick Asta over, say, you know, Mr. Schnauzer, 
down the mm-hmm. street, uh, they had trained Skippy, the East had trained Skippy to, quote, hide from danger within a scene, which meant that he would go under a bed or a table and put his hands over his eyes. So he was kind of trained to do that. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah, that I would know. get him the role for sure. I know. I would hire that dog just to hang out under my couch. Yeah. <laughs> just to be cute. <laughs> yeah, right? A particular scene in the film was when Asta drags Nick into, a, uh, sorry, Nora into a restaurant to greet Nick, uh, and Nick tries to convince the waiter that Asta should be allowed to stay while they're eating because he's, quote, trained. So Nick orders Asta to lie down, uh, and the dog stays standing, and then Nick orders Asta to stand, and then he lies down. So that's like a famous scene with Asta Dad, being... people in the 40s would think that was so funny. They're like, ha, 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 that yeah. is prime comedy at that time. <laughs> this is what people left burlesque for, guys. <laughs> it's true. For Asta. Okay, I would leave burlesque for Asta, too, but I would also go back to burlesque and then go yeah. back to Asta, you know? Switch it's it not, up. You can't, it's not Interchangeable. one without the other. You, ha- you can have both, okay? You can have your cake and eat it, too. It wasn't all fun and games on the set of The Thin Man, though, okay? Apparently, Myrna Loy, she played Nora, she didn't get along with Asta. Okay, it's okay. a dog. Wait, you right, don't and get what along is with wrong him? with you? You don't like dogs? Okay, that was like a red flag to me. Apparently, he nipped her once on set, and she was like super like, uh, oh my God, about it. was part of the scene. Nevertheless, she worked well with him. They filmed the movie, and he was in a couple more of the other films, and whatever. One of uh, the secrets of his motivation was this like little rubber ducky named uh, Oslo. And this is a quote from Loy, who didn't like uh, Asta, apparently. Quote, he did everything for a little squeaky mouse. Loy said, I'd squeak that mouse and put it in my pocket, and then Asta would do whatever he was supposed to do. So that's kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little things in life. Yep. Skippy played Asta in the first three Thin Man films. There were five total. Uh, And the last Thin Man movie, Song of the Thin Man, starred Asta's son, Asta 2, who, the guy who played Nick, he called um, Asta 2 half Asta, which is kind (laughs) of cute. Yeah. Uh, Skippy also starred in Mr. starred as Mr. Smith in The Awful Truth in 1937, uh, which stars Cary Grant and Irene Dunn, and he was basically the subject of like a custody debut between those two characters. So he's like a dog, like, and this like divorcing couple was like trying to figure out who was going to take him. Mm-hmm. Um, he also starred in Bringing Up Baby, which is a famous film from that time in 1938. He was his character's name was George. Uh, and he starred alongside Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant again, uh, and he was a dino bone stealer. And for this film, the East needed to train Skippy how to leer. So to teach him this, Henry East would put Skippy in front of a mirror, and he would use his fingers to curl Skippy's lip back into position, saying the word leer each time he did so. And that's how he learned and how that to... worked? Dude, dogs are crazy. Yeah. They'll do anything for food. Or that rubber... Or that duck. damn rubber duck or mouse or whatever it you was. You said duck first when you said mouse. I don't know. <laughs> the rubber the rubber toy that, that squeaked. It was a mouse. I'm so sorry, guys. It was definitely a mouse. You can't trust a thing I say. Like I said Mm-mm. at the beginning of the episode, I make everything up. It sounds really good, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, so he was a professional pup. Don't you forget it. Uh, they were the East, who were his trainers. They were adamant that no one tried to talk or play with Skippy. Uh, in between scenes or takes for fear of breaking his concentration which i get it like that's like service dogs this is like on a serious note if you see a service dog do not even try and make eye contact with it like you can look at it out of the corner of your eye but you know a dog can tell if you're trying to get its attention even if it's just looking at it i've seen this woman in the airport like calling some guy's service dog 
she was like, oh, here. And the guy gave her a look. And so, I mean, per- people who she was with was like, dude, stop doing that. But yeah, let them Don't. work. Okay. Hello. They work they're working. They're working hard. Uh, so yeah, he didn't want to break his concentration. So you weren't allowed to like play with him. So maybe Myrna was like a little pissed about that. She was like, okay, I wanted to play with him. And mm-hmm. I went to play with him. And then he nipped me. And now I'm going to be like a diva about it. Who knows? Uh, Skippy earned $250 a week when most dogs were earning uh, $3.50 a day. Dude, that's uh, not bad. <laughs> that's pretty... I would take that. For that, that time, that's a lot. Yeah. That's probably more than, with inflation, more than some people make, a lot of people make now. Right. Which is another think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he was fed a vegetarian diet, which I don't agree with, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> that's what they did. Uh, he was always given time to have 12 hours at night for rest, so he could always recuperate after his long days. Mm-hmm. It's more than I get. Uh, and he had his own dressing room, so he could rest between scenes. <laughs> That's cute. It's very cute. Uh, yeah, so his career lasted 10 years, and he appeared in 20 films. Um, and officially, he retired in 1941, and it's assumed that retired here means he passed away, sadly. Well, like, worked until his death? They didn't give him a couple years on a farm or something? No. But he did have a lot of puppies because those puppies went on to act in films as him later on, like Asta 2, Asta 3, etc. Yeah. Which I feel like is not as exciting to me. No. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a couple other famous on-screen pups, just like shortly. Uh, yeah. Do you know uh, Rin Tin Tin? Yes. The name isn't is familiar, a, but I've never seen any films. It might have been a cartoon at oh, some no, point. Oh, no, it's Tin Tin. Right. Rin Tin Tin is a dog. Uh, it's a male German shepherd. Um, and he was rescued from a World War I battlefield by like an American soldier. Uh, and then the soldier named him Rinty. Uh, and then he eventually like took him home and started training him a lot and started getting him into silent films. And he became one of the biggest stars of the 1920s in films like Where the North Begins, Shadows of the North, Clash of the Wolves, things like that. I've never seen any of these films. I've never seen any film with Rin Tin Tin. But apparently Why Rin does- Tin Tin was like that, one of the dogs yeah, he has like a more exciting life than i do right <laughs> um susan orlean wrote a book called rin tin tin the life and the legend um and in this book she said that rin tin tin received the most votes for the oscar for best actor in the ceremony's first year but the academy quote was anxious to establish the new awards as serious and important decided that giving an oscar to a dog did not serve that end that is an incredible clue or like piece of trivia that people should put into crosswords yeah and also maybe they should make an oscar category for animal actors (gasps) Oh my god, they work so freaking hard. They work so hard, and they should all get yeah. well, an Oscar. The I have a little behind the scenes info. What could potentially be the problem with that is a lot of times in the movies it's multiple animals mm-hmm. playing one. That's why it's usually a breed, like a. I was <laughs> an extra in Marley and Me, if you don't know. <laughs> and um, yeah, I saw all the Marleys. If you don't, it's that movie with Jennifer Aniston and Owen Wilson, mm-hmm. and um, wow. it, it's a golden retriever. Yeah. Oh wow! So. They have, like, there was, like, seven different golden retrievers, right. and they would use, you know, if they needed one for the scene where he's super destructive, they had, like, mm-hmm. a hyper golden retriever actor. If they needed, you know, a lot of dogs are trained in, like, one specific trick that they know how to do. Right. So they'll just get brought in for that one scene. Right. And that's that's how it's done, folks. I worked yeah. on set once with uh, an animal actor, mm-hmm. um, and the set, they only had enough money to, you know, basically employ one animal. It was a black cat. 
Um, you should have multiples, as Grace said, but this was like a low budget film, right? And so they brought this cat in and this cat was apparently trained to, if you put it down, it would walk to the camera. Do you think that cat ever, ever did anything to that effect? No. Let me tell you, no. I feel like I can't imagine cat actors. There are some, but you, I feel like you see the same ones. There's one cat actor who is in all the like cat food commercials and he's very pretty. He's like the striped gray, gray cat, but I keep seeing him in all this stuff. I'm like, he's probably like one of the most well-trained cats why he keeps booking all these roles. Because right. you could train a cat to do something one day. And he could do it every day for a year, and then you bring him someplace new, and he's like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, he's year. like, no, sorry, I hate these people, actually. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, no, that was actually miserable, because then we had to use a cat puppet, which did not look like a real cat, and it was just a whole thing. <laughs> oh, it's God. just so bad. <laughs> a That's mess. Terrible. A true freaking mess. Um, okay, let's talk about, you know, one of the potentially most famous dogs in film history, Terry, a.k.a. Toto. Terry was a female Karen Terrier, uh, she's known for playing Toto in the film The Wizard of Oz. Uh, MGM was apparently seeking a dog who looked exactly like the drawings in the L. Frank Baum book, The Wizard of Oz, uh, and they found her in Terry. She was paid $125 a week, which apparently was more than the munchkins were paid. So think about that. Not surprising. Sadly, Terry had to be replaced uh, a few weeks after, you know, filming started because one of the wicked witch soldiers accidentally stepped on her foot and sprained it oh my god yeah so only like the terry or the toto you see in that film is only like occasionally terry the dog yeah you gotta have backups yep and she died sadly in 1945 <laughs> i feel like almost every every movie you've seen in like that was made more than 10 years ago with a an animal the animal, animal is the not probably here dead. with us anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that leads me to the other most famous dog in, you know, the cinema world, Pal, also known as Lassie. Many generations of collies have played Lassie, but the first was Pal. Legend has it that Pal was not originally cast as the lead dog in Lassie Come Home, but was just supposed to be a stunt dog. Pal nonetheless was so impressive uh, that director Fred M. Wilcox watched her in an early stunt and decided, like, you know what, no. We're giving her the role, and it was her screen debut. How cute is that? Uh, so Pal went on to star in a series of Lassie films and also performed in the first two episodes of the 1950s TV series Lassie before handing the role to her son, or to his son, sorry, I keep using the wrong pronouns, his son, <laughs> Lassie Jr. Uh, and Pal died in 1958. Uh, nearly all of the dogs who have played Lassie in the decades of TV shows and subsequent movies are descendants of the original Pal. As trained by the Weatherwax family, I kid you not. The Weatherwax family have a website. You can check it out. You can see all of their dogs. They have a monopoly on all these dogs, apparently. Do you know... I'm surprised you didn't talk about Airbud. I didn't talk about Airbud. I should have. I was just kind of sticking to, like, a generation of dogs. (laughs) We have a friend who's obsessed with Airbud and watches, like, a different Airbud movie every weekend. So shout out to Mike if you're listening. Shout out to Mike, uh, as everyone should be doing. I love that damn movie. It was so good. I the love cups. Yes. I love animal actors. Um in the Harry Potter uh like oh studio God, tour, fang. there's a whole section of the animal actors and it's really cute cuz they have like a little bio on all the ones. Of course, there's like a million fangs, a million crookshanks. You know, there's one crookshanks where her whole, who's Hermione's cat, um she was just liked to be carried all the time. So, you know, Hermione has to carry her in a lot of scenes, so that was like her one job anytime 
Crookshanks was being carried, that cat was brought in. And then there were some fangs who were like, they were trained to do Ooh. this. Oh, are you getting... Chelsea's <laughs> getting, like, possessed over there. Her lights are flickering on and off. Tune into YouTube to see what happened. Um, but, yeah, there's some dogs that they, like, get brought in and they're all excited, but then they never make it into the movie. Oh, but they're such good boys. They try so hard. They are. And then I wonder about, like, horses in movies. Do they know that they're in a movie? Or are they just like, holy shit, I just fought in a war today. Like, <laughs> do they know? Right, like all the horses in Lord of the Rings. And they're yeah. like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? Like fighting against an orc. And, and then like, they go back to their horse family. They're like, honey, you have no idea what I saw today. And then they, then they have like PTSD or something. You don't know. Yeah, they spend the rest of their life on a farm. And they're like, did that happen? Like, what? And the ones that are trained to like get shot and fall over... They're so good. But they're it's, such good boys. Yeah. But I always, specifically horses, for some reason, make me laugh. I think it's because they're always in scenes that are like that, like war scenes. Mm-hmm. I just watched Antebellum recently, which is the Janelle Monet oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. There's some controversy about it. I'm not going to go into it. But there's like a really intense scene where she's like running through on horseback, carrying a torch and like running through cornfields. I'm like, does this horse have any idea what's going on or they just think like this is normal he's like this is great this is great this is great who knows today was a weird day (laughs) um so i'm gonna end my section with a little quote some wise words from skippy's trainer gail east the quote is this treat a dog kindly and he'll do anything in the world for you and that's something to live by if you want to control somebody treat them really nicely and then you can basically control them so thank you gail east to appreciate that <laughs> yeah that's cute if you have a dog that cares <laughs> yeah my dog does not i mean he'll do anything for food um but even then he won't listen to you really he still decides he's like uh sorry no this isn't worth my time yeah um no i've never had a well-trained dog i've only, i've never owned a dog myself i've only had family dogs and not the brightest tools in the shed, especially not the current one. No offense to Peanut. Um, but <laughs> we I still love her. Yeah. No, all she does is give me fleas by accident. So <laughs> there's that. Wow. Great times. Great times here at Two Girls, One Crossword. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah. If you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. Or TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. Yep. And make sure to check out our new podcast or just go over it and give us like a fake review. We would really yes, appreciate it. Love you guys. Please a fake review if you, if you care about us at all. It's just the more reviews you get within like the first 10 days of publishing, then iTunes potentially puts you on new and noteworthy. So there is a link in the description. If you could just go over there, please, please, please. Five stars and write like these girls are beautiful. And That's they're all so funny. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Uh, the podcast is called Meet Me in Forks. And it is a Twilight podcast. So if you're into that kind of thing, come on over. Yeah. And episodes are only about like 20 minutes long. So yeah. So super, super short. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, well, that's it. And that's all, folks. Until Thanks next for joining time us. To talk. Bye.